Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that allows us to draw more power into our lives, and we need that help. I'm your host, Kerry Mulestein, and this is going to be a short cast where we're just going to touch on two themes very quickly uh, that are themes that we've kind of been going, uh, drawing on and, and highlighting as we've gone along. Uh, the entire reading for the week is in John, the book of John. And as uh, I've said before, in the book of John, you especially see this theme of the Savior and his relationship with the Father and doing the Father's will. So I want to highlight just a few elements of that. We could spend hours on it. We're going to spend just a few elements of that. And I also just want to talk about uh, some of the significance of the healing of the man born blind that is in John chapter 9. So let's jump in and and talk about this stuff. We'll start in John 7 which has one of these fantastic sermons uh, by the Savior about his relationship with the Father. And it starts at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, that's also, let me make sure that I'm remembering this right, uh, is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also Sukkot, uh, or the Feast of Booths is another name you'll hear that by. This is uh, celebrating a number of things, but mostly how God took care of them in the wilderness. Um, and the, the giving of the law in some ways and some other things. But uh, but that's why these tabernacles are these temporary dwellings, because God took care of them in the wilderness. There are a bunch of other things that are, are part of it as well. But that's what we're going to focus on. So the Savior goes up to Jerusalem after telling him he's not going to. He goes up to Jerusalem, and they're at the feast, and people are asking where he is. And then in the middle of it, Jesus goes up into the temple. And this is uh, there are a lot of special rituals and um, kind of pageants, almost as it were, at the temple at that time, uh, and uh, Jesus is teaching them. Love to hear what he taught, and the Jews are marveling, saying he he was never, you know, in a yeshiva, as it were. He was never uh, following like uh, uh, either uh, Shammai or uh, any of the great uh, rabbis of the day. He's not studying with them. He says so. They wonder how he learned, and we get in verse sixteen the Savior's answer, answer, which is where we start to get some really profound stuff. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. He is so insistent on that so often. This is not of me. It's not about me. I'm not doing my stuff. I do God's will and teach his doctrine. And then he tells us, and this is potent and powerful. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So it's in the doing of it that we learn. It's not in the I'll do my own thing and keep asking and keep wondering. It's when we start to do God's will that we can find out if it's true. Just like uh, if I were to tell you that uh, eating uh, in a certain healthy way and exercising will make a difference in your life. You won't know whether that's true or not until you do it. And then you can look and see if it made that difference or not. Then you'll know. If we do his will, then we know whether the, that the doctrine is from God. Um, and that's that's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, and then we, we see as he continues on, um, we're going to go to verse 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. So he's accusing them of not knowing God. But he is very clear. He knows God. And then verse 29, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. He is so clear about this relationship with the Father. Uh, and there are more places where he talks about this uh, that we could go into. But I want you to see how uh, 
we, we are getting this in every chapter. So chapter eight is where we get the story of the one taken in adultery that uh, we had this fantastic episode with, with uh, Phil Allred. Um, but let's go down to uh, verse, um, we'll start in 12. Uh, then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Now, there was some light that was part of the celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles at, at the temple. So he's drawing out that imagery. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And the Pharisees said, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. And it is true that under the law, you have to have two witnesses. Uh, and you're not supposed to bear witness against yourself or anything along those lines. Anyway, Jesus in verse 14, this is John 8, 14. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. You see how he's so insistent again and again and again, especially John records this, um, that he is just sent from the Father. He represents the Father. He does the Father's will. He says, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. That's what we talked about. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Now, that's happened literally at this point and, and will again, but um, that's that's key uh, in the ways that it's happened. But it also happens in other ways that the Father bears witness of the Son. Um, and they said unto him, where is thy father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. That's a, a crucial teaching. And we've said this before, but as we come to know the characteristics and attributes of Jesus, we are coming to know the characteristics and attribute of the father. He is and does as the father is and does. And one of his great missions is to reveal the father to us. And as we come to know Christ, we come to know the father. And he'll make that clear to Thomas later. We'll get to that a bit later but I, I want to make sure we're catching it as he teaches it there in chapter eight. So we're going to touch on chapter nine in a couple of ways. One is this uh, incredible story. Jesus passed by and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked a man saying, master, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? So that reveals that this is a common way of thinking. If someone has had something bad happen to him, it's because something someone did something wrong. And since he was born blind, it might've been him. It might've been his parents. But Christ says, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. So this man has been born blind and suffered all this time for this moment so that it would be clear that Christ is the Son of God or at least the Messiah, right? That's what the conclusion people are going to have to come to. Now, remember that in the Gospel of John, the word that uh, the Savior or that John uses to describe the Savior's miracles is the word that that uh, means uh, really kind of like a witness or a testimony uh, that or a sign is probably the best way of saying it. That his miracles are signs of who he is. Now, look at what the Savior says in the next verse, John chapter 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me. That's his theme. That's what he does. Uh, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work and so on. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's still going with this theme of light and seeing, uh, but he's also emphasizing that he does what his father sent him to do. And that's when he spits on the ground and he, he puts uh, clay on the man's eyes and he tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam um, and, and he washes and comes away seeing. And uh, people recognize, wait, this is the guy who was begging and he was blind and uh, others say it can't be him, and he says, "I am he." Uh, 
and they say, how are thine eyes open? And, and he says that Jesus did it and so on. Um, and they bring him to the Pharisees. Now, let me tell you what the problem is. This, this is the problem. As they are coming to recognize who the Savior is, and at this point, he's been matching uh, Elijah and Elisha's great miracles, uh, miracle for miracle, as it were. So it's clear to anyone who has seen this that he is a great prophet, among the greatest of the prophets. But no one had ever healed a man who was born blind. People who had become blind had been healed, but no one had ever healed a man who was born blind. So on this occasion, the Savior steps into new territory. He has gone beyond Elijah and Elisha. And when you've gone beyond the greatest of the miracle-working prophets, there's not a lot of other choices other than to say he's more than a prophet. And if he's more than a prophet, then he's the Messiah. And so this is the beginning of the end for Jesus in many ways. Uh, it is this and the miracle of Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead that we'll talk about when we get there, that, that forced the Sadducees to conclude they have to kill the Savior because it is too hard to argue against him being the Messiah. When he has done these things, it's too hard uh, to argue against that. And that's part of why they're so upset here. And, and, and it keeps talking about the Pharisees. I don't think this is all the Pharisees, but it's certainly some Pharisees. I don't think we can gloss that over. Um, uh, but we have to say there are some Pharisees who are dead set against the Savior having uh, this recognition and people seeing him as the great prophet the, and, and or even greater than a prophet. They're, they're just unhappy. So you get in verse 16, some of the Pharisees this say this man is not of God. And why? Because he keepeth not the Sabbath day holy. So again, that's probably followers of Shammai. Uh, and they say unto him, the blind man, again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And his parents don't want to get caught up in this and be cast out of the synagogue. So they say, is this your son? And how does he see? And they say, well, we know he's a son, our son, and we know he's born blind, but we don't know how he can see now. He's he's old enough. Ask him. Um and so they go to him and they say, give God the praise. We know this man is a sinner. Uh, and this verse 25 of John 9, I think, is so profound. And hopefully, uh, I mean, we have uh, songs that incorporate this. This is something that I hope we can all say again and again and again in our lives. He answered and said, whether I be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. There are so many things in my life I can say that with, things that I, I used to think were fine that now I can see and say, oh, well, that wasn't fine, or things that all right, I didn't recognize were good, and now I can see how good it is. Uh, there are so many times where I can say, ah, whereas I was blind, now I see. I hope that God and Christ keep giving to us new eyes again and again and again. We all need it. Um, it's it's so important, uh, and, and we all need it. Um, and Christ says in verse 39, and Jesus said, for judgment, I am coming to this world that they which see not might see. So this is the use of the word judgment that I've talked about many times. It's not uh, saying, okay, you've done this wrong. Here's your punishment. It's making things right. This is what judgment really means. So he's, he says, for judgment, for making things right, I am coming to the world that they which see not might see and they which see might be made blind. You, you, he's almost quoting Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah gets his mission, or what he says in Matthew 13 about the parables, and that's when he quotes Isaiah 6. Uh, but that's the, the point. He's going to help those 
who uh, have been blind and are willing to see to see. Uh, that's that's beautiful, powerful stuff. Now, let's just spend um, there's I, I, all right. We're going to spend a little time on John 10. So this won't be quite as short a short cast as I was thinking. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of things, and I'm going to give credit to uh, I recently watched a, a class taught by Ryan Davis, and he asked a couple of questions that I thought were worth all of us asking. I thought really profound questions as we get into this uh, teaching that Jesus is the good shepherd, which is also tied up with, uh, you know, God is the shepherd that led Israel through the wilderness uh, and brought them to green pastures, uh, and you're celebrating that at uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. Uh, so he's drawing on some of that imagery. But anyway, um, he talks about uh, he that entereth not by the door in the sheepfold, but climbeth some other way as a thief and a robber. So you have a couple different groups you've got to talk about. There are thieves and robbers. And as uh, Brother Davis was pointing out, these are people who uh, they're in it for themselves, not for the sheep or the the owner of the sheep or the shepherd, right? But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, we're not going to talk about being uh, the door. That's profound stuff. But I thought Phil did a fantastic job with that in, in the other episode for this week. Um, but we've got the, the shepherd. We've got the robber. And then uh, we're going to get to where we have the hireling, right? Um, and the hireling is the one, uh, verse 12, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep, own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf come in and he leaveth the sheep, right? Because he's not in this for the sheep, maybe sometimes, but mostly he's in it for himself. Whereas the shepherd, he's in this for the sheep, right? And so the question that uh, Brother Davis asked his students was, and uh, uh, in, in, yeah, first of all, I had them think through, how are the hireling and the robbers the same? How, what's different about them and the shepherd? How might the hireling be like the shepherd and how is he different from the shepherd? And so on. And then he asked them, in your personal ministry, whether that be your ministering assignments, whether that be how you treat the people around you, roommates, friends, family, neighbors, uh, co-workers, whatever, in what ways are you a hireling and in what ways are you a shepherd? Right, we all have personal ministries, and probably sometimes we're shepherds, and sometimes we're we're hirelings, or hopefully not too often robbers. And some of it has to come down to our motives: Are we in this for the sheep, or are we in this for ourselves? Uh, and I think that's a, a really important question to ask ourselves, uh, and and worth thinking about. And thank goodness we have a good shepherd. Now let's go to verse fourteen. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine as the father knoweth me. Even so know I the father. This is so crucial. Remember how we've talked about uh, covenants are about relationships and we're going to get down to this unity of the father when we get to John 17 and so on. But it, it's about knowing and being known as we are known and note what he says as the father knoweth me. Even so I know the father later. He'll say, you know, this is eternal life to know the, the only true God. We are in a covenant relationship with God partially so that we can know him and he can know us as Christ knows the Father and he and the Father knows Christ. And that's why Christ will say, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, and we're going to go to verse 17. Therefore, doth my Father love me because I lay my life, lay down my life that I might take it again. Uh, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my father. So I'd say both the ability and the command to do it, he has gotten from his father. Again, 
talking about how he only does the Father's will, how united they are, and how he does the Father's will. That repeated theme that we give, we see so much um, in in John. It's we're going to wrap it up just a little bit with John chapter ten, verse twenty nine. Uh, well, we'll start at twenty eight. And I, well, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And and I could tell you stories and we've heard stories on this podcast uh, about seeing uh, shepherds or sheep that follow their shepherd and hear them call or even hear them whisper to them and they follow them. Uh, it, it, it absolutely happens and it's powerful stuff. Verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. No one will rob us from him. Verse 29, my father, which gave them to me. So that's why he has them, because his father gave them to me, is greater than all. Note how he always comes back to that. He, he is subservient to God. He puts God above him constantly, clearly. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Now, they're going to try and kill him for this. But I want you to see this prevalent theme. We've seen it now in John chapter. Um, I, I, we did. I don't think we talked about it in four, but it's there. But especially five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. We've explored how that theme is in all of those chapters of John. Uh, uh, if, if we could keep exploring it here in chapter ten, it happens more and more. But I just hope you're starting to see how important this is. That. The we recognize the unity of the Father and the Son and how Christ is an expression of the Father's will and expressions of the Father's nature and expression of the Father's uh, works and that we come to know the Father by learning about Christ. As we study Christ during Come, Follow Me, we're studying the Father, honestly, and let's remember that. We are studying about the, God, the Father, as we study about Christ, the Son, and uh, hopefully we recognize that and recognize that God sent the Son so we accept the Son so that we can come unto the Father and become one with Him as Christ has invited us to. It is my hope and my prayer that that will happen for all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.